Hey folks, and tonight's episode is brought to you by YesPleaseVintage.com. If you're in the States and a fan of vintage and upcycled housewares and clothing, give YesPleaseVintage.com a check for clothing, jewelry, homeware, and some really awesome finds. So go check them out now at YesPleaseVintage.com. And currently, if you spend over $60, you get free shipping on all orders. Hello and welcome to the Asian Cinema Film Club. I'm your host, always Edward Jones, and joining me, of course, is my co-host, Mr. Stephen Palmer. Hello there. On tonight's episode, we are going to be looking at the Ryu Murakami adaptation of Karaoke Terror. Um, but before we obviously get into that, it's time to ask what you've been watching. And Stephen, since the last episode, what, if anything, has been holding your interest Okay, so a couple of things, and one sort of a follow-up from something you watched a few episodes ago. But I'll start off with, I watched a documentary um, called Yellow Face, Asian Whitewashing and Racism in Hollywood from 2019. Um, we've sort of spoken in or around this before, um, maybe not sort of the whole Yellow Face thing, you know, Mickey Rooney and... Um, in uh, Breakfast at Tiffany's is the classic example, but Marlon Brando's done a couple of them and, and all the Charlie Chan movies and that whole thing. Basically, it's a documentary, not a terribly long documentary that, that looks at the, sort of this history of of what they call yellow face in Hollywood. Um, and it concentrates on the usual stuff, the things I've just mentioned. Um, what I would say is it, 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 it could have been better... Um, it kind of makes an assumption that it all started during World War Two with um, with the internment camps, and it talks about the Hayes Code. But obviously, we've talked, we've spoken before. I think I've probably done a dark stories of Asian cinema, dark tales of Asian cinema on sort of similar subjects, where actually these these sort of th- these rules and this this anti Asian people thing in America goes a lot further back back to you know like um the imported like bit like a bit like we've treated irish people over the years here in the uk um anyway it's it's fine the other problem with it is it's even though it literally calls out that not every asian person is japanese every example is of of a japanese person and they kind of gloss over all the other nationalities of asia so it's 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 fine it just could be better but for an hour it's quite informative i don't think i learned very much but hopefully other people would um so there's that the other thing is a few months ago you watched sailor suta machine girl yes i did and i don't think you were particularly i think you were disappointed by it i was disappointed yeah certainly by the it's one of those films where the concept was certainly better than the execution but it didn't stop it from obviously going off to spawn a bunch of uh, TV series and other movie versions. But yeah, it was it was one of those things I was like super excited to see, um, and certainly the footage that I saw, the little uh, clips that uh, Arrowplay had in their coming soon trailer, made it seem really exciting. And yeah, it just didn't really work for me in the end. Okay, so I'll I'll take a completely different approach. So I finally got round to watching it, even though I did have the Blu-ray when you watched it. I just only literally got round to it this week. I bloody loved it. 
Oh, really? <laughs> but it wasn't... Even with your sort of mini-review, it wasn't the film I was expecting. I, was, I wasn't expecting this kind of weird mashup of satire on Yakuza films with coming-of-age drama with a fair bit of nuttiness, but actually a lot of genuine nice stuff in it. It was... Um... <laughs> So yes, it's got all the weird crap, like when she's being dunked into the concrete, which I think you, you mentioned. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's a really great scene because at the same time they're drowning the the Yakuza boss's son in a fish tank. That's right. Um, but it's yes, it's it's basically like this setup, and I I don't think I've watched many nineteen eighties Japanese films either. So that that was the other thing, and I I hadn't realised what a like you were saying it was this was a cultural phenomenon at the time but has never really come over to the west um i think it's based on a novel isn't it yeah um yeah it's, it's never really came over to the west so you know when you, you told me a long time ago it was coming out i think we were both kind of excited because it was a kind of film that we sort of just from the name what we were expecting it to be yeah um, it was um definitely one of the more obscure choices because it was really the fact that arrow player were picking out this was really the start of them picking out some really sort of uh, less than obvious tiles that we hadn't seen before. We had this, and we had uh, things such as um, was it was it Gods and Toys? Um, well, so 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 yeah, so that's more of a sixties film. But but yes, the the, the films you know, um, Black Test Car and things like that. Yeah, they they, they, they um, yes, but they're, they're coming from a you know, there's a direct that's, that's all the same director, and they're and they're pulling his films through. Blood Beast is another one by the same director, but this is sort of like I don't know. I wonder if they're going to pick more of, of Shinji Samai's films. I have no idea. It's just not the film I was expecting at all. And even though you had kind of warned me, I wasn't expecting to really bloody love it. So, I, <laughs> so neither of us hated it. I just don't think it. it I think I was charmed by it more, and I'll definitely watch it again. Um, and then sort of reading up about the the lead actress, who's some kind of teen idol, and that she did all the songs, and actually she's probably more famous for being a singer than an actress. And and there was a bit of... I, I know why I kind of liked it, because, again, we talk about this a lot, but, you know, we talk about my love of the the Sega Yakuza games. I just felt this could have been a sub-story in, in Yakuza 3 or something like that, where... You're you're helping a teenage girl become the king, become boss number four of a little gang of four people. Oh, it was it was it was lovely. I think though you get more from it if you've watched a lot of Yakuza films. She's think... um yeah, I mean she's obviously the become inherits this gang of bumbling crooks. Um and has like these charming moments such as like, Hey, Yakuza don't cry. <laughs> so there's, there's these charming moments throughout, but as as I said, you just keep waiting for her to sort of, like step up and like go full machine gun on them. And it's only at the end where for one scene she has a machine gun. That the title of the film's sort of derived from. But yeah, I mean there are these interesting moments throughout it, but I just think as I said, I just felt it was a film that didn't live up to its interesting premise for myself, so yeah, yeah, that that's fine. Um, so yeah, I, I I liked it a lot, but um, there we go. Right, and the final thing is it's not something I've seen, but something I'm kind of excited about is that um, I just announced that they're going to do a Blu-ray of Supercop, or AKA Police Story Three. Uh, um, I think it's from Eureka, 
so that'll be out at the back end of the year and as well as 4k restorations of that and the first two police story films so that'll um yeah it is eureka it's about isn't it? time really mm, they made, i was surprised the amount of times that we've seen police story one and two get sort of uh, glitzy releases and then you look at police story three which is obviously Supercop. you've got um because this is the thing, you got like five or six, but they were released under different titles over here. They were, I think it's like First Strike, which mm-hmm. is uh, Police Story 5. Sorry, yeah. Police Story 4. But over here, it's just released as First Strike, and there is another one as well, which uh, was uh, obviously Police Story 5. And there's even another uh, Super Cop one, uh, which is sort of like a <laughs> semi sequel to uh, this one that's coming out. But this was obviously Jackie Chan, she up Michelle Yeoh. Mm. Um, and I think this was one which really sort of announced her because he was coming off her divorce and her return to acting. Um, and we have that wonderful scene where she jumps the motorcycle onto a train. Um, mm. There's just so many great bits in Police Story 3. I think it's just a really, it's a really great entry in the series. And I think throughout those first five entries, at least, have got all really great stuff in them. And I think it's where Chan's sort of working at the height of his powers, really. Because um, he's moved away from doing the sort of traditional Hong Kong um, sort of period pieces, and instead doing these more like modern set uh, pieces with this Officer Chan uh, character, who's very much uh, the super cop of the uh, of the title. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm also. It's it, being a Eureka DVD. Um, loads. You know, it's got both the Hong Kong version and the American cut, and the American cut has a dub track. In English, but it's Jackie Chan and Michelle Yeoh doing their <coughs> doing a dub of themselves in English, which I just think is lovely. I mean, I know obviously we all know that Jackie Chan can't actually speak English and that he just learns it all phonetically, but um, obviously Michelle Yeoh can. But yeah, I just I just think it sounds like a really nice set, and it's you know like you say they are they are going back to the well again with yet another version of. Uh, of Police Story 1 and 2. I'm not sure being in 4K is going to make a huge difference to the existing Blu-rays that were released, what, only like two years ago? But... Every couple of years, it, it's that mm. and the Bruce Lee movies. Every couple of years, we get a new re-release of them. And then you think of the other sort of key titles of this era, when you like look at, especially all the Summer Hong movies, like the last time we got a copy of Pedicab Drive was like on the Made in Hong Kong label. Mm. And it's never really been seen since, and it's kind of a shame. I mean, it took us forever to get a new release of um, like Eastern Condors and um, spooky, Closing Counts of Spooky Kind, and I want to say Magnificent Butcher because they did that free set um, of Summer Hung movies recently. But um, no, his movies never really get get the re-releases they they deserve. I mean, it took us forever to get Millionaires Express as well because um, the last ones that came out for those were back on the Hong Kong Legends label, so... Yeah, no, I... Yeah, um, I don't normally go in for this oh, look what's coming out stuff, but that really did... Um, well, firstly, thank you, Facebook, for finally getting an advert right that actually does appeal to me. Because <laughs> they were trying to sell me some piecework of a Kit 2000, which... They just uh, see mod- your Instagram. They just know you're collecting bits of things, and they thought, yeah. "Oh, you like this?" 
But it was like the first two bits. It's one, you know, these part work things. We talked about it on another episode. Didn't we have, we? yeah. So this is this is this is the Night Rider car, which obviously is something which is going to appeal to me because you know the eighties. But the first two bits are free, and it, I, someone was working out it's about four hundred and seventy pounds you'd spend on this. You know, just a model of a car. <laughs> it doesn't. I think it's got some flashing lights and stuff. But my God, but they put it on and under the advert, it's just like, because it's a Facebook one, the people just put these comments on it saying, well, I'm not paying £270. For £270, it's more like 500 <laughs> What a rip-off. They've really judged that one. Anyway, thank you. Well done, Eureka, for this. There was a couple of others that came out, but um, obviously I'm still waiting for um, Summertime Machine Blues, which will be out in a couple of months as well. But uh, we'll talk about that nearer the time. So what about yourself then? What have you been watching? For myself, um, I'm currently doing a season of Murakami movies um, over on my other podcast, Movies and Tea. This is a few seasons down the line, so don't expect to be seeing it anytime soon. We're just cramming in production as quick as we can because my co-host Kim is going off on maternity leave. So she will go deliver have uh, her kid and then come back and you probably will never know this difference we've got that many episodes recorded but she, the kid will probably be off to um if i was in charge the kid will be at university by the time <laughs> so yeah at the um as i said it's i'm where it's fun to obviously go always fun to look at studio ghibli movies but obviously the murakami is it murakami um, Miyazaki, isn't it? Miyazaki, yeah. Murakami, so we're going to talk about later. Yeah. <laughs> um, to talk about Miyazaki's... Con- I don't want to say contributions. His his em- entries into the back catalogue of the studio Ghibli. Um, so obviously, so far we've done the first three entries in it. So, revisited Castle Cagliostro, which is still fun, um, as well as uh, Nausicaa Valley of the Wind, which... I've grown to like more as I've become less of an animation snob. First time I watched it, I didn't really get into it because, I'm, um, as I said, the animation's not as polished as the other ones which followed. Uh, but the story itself is actually really great for Nausicaa Valley of the Wind, and I think it's one that is kind of overlooked now. I think a lot of people tend to look at the later ones more, especially around that Spirited Away era. Um, and the... I've also watched uh, Revisited uh, Laputa Castle in the Sky which is another film which I have a very weird relationship with where whenever it's on TV or or whatever I will always uh, find myself watching it or recording it to watch even though it's not again not one of my favourites and, and I find that it's a little longer two hours but at the same time when I look at the film there's nothing that I can see that sort of stands out to me to be like cut out because you have all these sort of sequences where characters like interaction which are really interesting but at the same time expand out this story um but it's really the interesting in terms of obviously the studio ghibli style because i think that's one where the whimsiness really sort of comes into comes into full effect and it you look at it and you can sort of like tick off all his favorite things such as like flying machines and pigs and young girls having to clean things and it's all like it's just like a real checklist of uh, his favorite things that appear in that one. Even though, I say it just 
there's something about the flow of that story which doesn't means that I don't like hold it in such high regard as like my favorites of the catalog, such as like Porco Rosso or Pompoco, or even like Kiki's Livery Service, which we've talked about uh, on our previous episodes. Cool. So yes. Um... I mean, how do you view Castle in the Sky? Do you? Because it's a lot darker than I I always remember it being. I'm just trying to think back to it. Yeah. I think it's. I think I. Well, I'm probably inspired by you talking about it. I'll probably give it another another watch. Because um, I mean, it's basically it's inspired by Gulliver's Travels. Because mm. um, you have the world which is like the floating cities in the sky, and it's also one of the rare Ghibli movies which ties in real world into the Ghibli verse, as they <laughs> talk about. Obviously, it has like nods to like Roman mythology Hinduism um, and this idea of this, this weapon being like this this uh, weapon of God and it's also fun when you look at it and you see how certain characters really became the base of other characters like the engineer of the Sky Pirates he's basically the the base model for the engineer that we see in Spirited Away mm. um, he's just obviously got more arms than that one because he's got like a bit <laughs> of a spider body and you see like the um, the squirrel fox from Nausicaa Valley of the Wind shows up is uh, one of the creatures in um, in Laputa which I also found out means whore in Spanish so they had to change it there and just call it Castle in the Sky well, that, yeah, that sort of thing it happens all the time, isn't it? <laughs> oh my God. It's the reason we had to change GIF to SIF. Because <laughs> mm. it meant something bad somewhere in the world. It's quite often in German, isn't it, that these words don't translate very well. But, uh, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I've got to be honest with you. I, I, I haven't watched as many Studio Ghibli films as I probably should have done. And um, so it's quite nice that you're sort of going back and looking at some of those, especially the Miyazaki ones, because I think most people think every Ghibli film is a Miyazaki film, which isn't they, the case at all. They do. <laughs> they also have this this uh, idea where they call him like the Disney of the East, which he absolutely hates. Mm. And he's sort of like, Disney, Disney movie, Disney makes uh, children's movies. I do not make these sort of movies. And when he's uh, sent when he sent the samurai sword to uh, Miramax saying no cats <laughs> yes because of the uh, what New World Pictures did to Nausicaa mm. they just basically butchered it to hell and they, I think the, the, the cut actually removes Nausicaa and just like focuses on all the male characters somehow but they did like a real butch job of it so yeah no I think that's that's, that's... I think that will inspire me to go and explore them some more for sure. But um, yeah, next time, the next one we're going to record next is My Neighbor Totoro. Oh, my favorite film. Oh, it's a character I love, but the film, nothing you just, happens. You, well, if you've got no soul, I just, it's like oh, I bet look, Kim loves it's it. a cat who's a bus. It's, it's like reading. It doesn't Dr. matter. Seuss. The film, the film could be about nothing, but it's got a cat bus in it, and therefore it's the best film, unequivocally of all time. You know what it reminds me of? The sketchy Monty Python. I think it's Meaning of Life, where it's where is the fish? <laughs> that, that's what watching My Neighbor Totoro is, and you're just basically. Was it Michael Payne with long arms going? Where is the fish? That's what it feels like, just extended to an hour and a half. It's um clearly the inspiration as well for turning red. That and Sailor Moon. Oh um, yeah, 
uh, uh, clearly, oh, I love I love Totoro, but I think uh, I have a personal connection with it because it's sort of me and my youngest daughter is what we bonded over. So, mm. not that, uh, and then and then she, for about three Christmases after that, I just got a Totoro stuff. I don't think she'd like it as much anymore. You're but, not like Totoro. He's even in Toy Story now. Yeah, yeah. Um, There's a Disney movie. <laughs> so. Well, they own the... They do all the dubs, don't they? They Disney. do, yeah. They, yeah. they have done for a while. Um, and that's always fun when you look at who's on the voice cast, like James Vanderbeek's in Castle in the Sky. And so is Manti Patenkin as well. And we also get a, a, a Joker-esque version of Mark Hamill as well, um, who was also in Nausicaa, which I never realised until recently. Mark Hamill has... has two careers. <laughs> He's... He he obviously feeds off Star Wars, and he will for the rest of his life. But his voice acting career has been magnificent. Obviously, the voice of the Joker in in the animated yes. Batman. But he's a no. He does loads of voice acting. Very interesting. He's also the voice of Chucky. Is he? Yeah, in the remake, he does. Uh, oh, in the new in the in the TV show. Yeah, the, yeah. It, well, no, the TV the TV show is uh, still Brad Dorif. Right. Brad Dorif did all of them up to Cult. Yeah. And then they the studio decided they were going to reboot it, in which case they um Mark Hamill took over as the voice of Chucky and Brad Dorif went off with um all the original crew and cast and did the phenomenal Chucky TV series. Which if you've not seen the Chucky TV series it's really worth watching. I was so surprised by how good it was. Yeah, I've I've yet to see it, but then I decided I'm giving up on TV because I cannot keep up. I, I, <laughs> just it's ridiculous. They've just done a new TV show of the Midwich Cuckoos. Oh my god, are, yes, the the one where they're not silver-haired children anymore. Yeah, which is fine. I'm I'm interested to see it, but that's another seven hours of my life I've got to find. I can't I can't I can't do anything anymore. I just I'm I'm still watching the killing. The original Danish one, which is about 12 years old. That's how I'm going to be about 80 before I get a chance to watch the Chucky TV show, if I'm, ever. I'm still on season two of Stranger Things, and yet somehow I've watched the whole of Girls four times. <laughs> I've, I, You'll be surprised. I have only watched the first two episodes of Stranger Things, and I just didn't connect with it at all. No. Which is odd because you'd have thought they'd made it for me, um, but I maybe I, maybe I need to grind through it. That's what I sometimes find with some of these shows. That I did finally watch Super Eight the other day. That was good. Uh, oh, I tell you what, I did watch something that you talked so last um, last week or last episode. Yeah. Whenever it whenever it is in time, you talked about the Korean version of Money Heist. Which made me realise yes. I hadn't watched Money Heist. So I've now watched the first season of Money Heist. Oh, you're doing better than me then. Um, is there any, there's any, oh, I think there's five seasons of it? Or four? Something I can't like remember. That. Um, I think I'll stop after the second season. But yeah, really good. Um, and I can absolutely see how they'll pull that off in a, in a Korean context. Whether I'll ever watch it, I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to watch season two yet. It's but, on Netflix, um, so it's not going to be going anywhere. So, well, well, we say that, but yeah, it's um, yeah, it's a good show, good show. Um, but I, yeah, I, obviously, I'm talking about something that came out five years ago. <laughs> I totally missed. 
I'm so I'm so on brand. I still haven't even yeah. finished uh, Squid Game. Oh, I, I did Squid Game quite quickly, but again, I struggled with Squid Game. I, I, it took me a couple of episodes to really get into that, and then I, I think I think I've had a rant before about this that it's the most un-Korean Korean TV show I've ever seen, and the very fact they've opened it up for a sequel, which I think they're going to do, is just bizarre because you don't tend to get sequels to Korean TV shows. No, it's like in with shows in Japan, uh, they would run a show for a year and Mm. if they bring it back it's normally like the ancestor of, which is what you saw in uh, Naguna de Gindo or Shadow Warriors with a Sonny Chiba show Mm -hmm. and he was always like playing the next ancestor of. Okay. Um, (coughs) But like one season would be like with this one character and then you get into like Shadow Warriors two, and then it would be like a different guy, but Soichi would be be playing. He'd be like the ancestor of the previous guy. That's all right. I'm I'm, I'm alright with that. But yeah, Korean dramas don't tend to have sequels. There's not. It's not without precedent, but, but weird. But everyone loved it, and it just makes more people watch Korean stuff. So, yay! At least they know how to end stuff, unlike every Netflix series. What do you mean? Just like Every it. Netflix series has a cliffhanger and then they cancel it. Oh, they're doing that a lot. I mean, I think Netflix are in a bit of trouble, aren't they? Because they're having to lay off a lot of staff. And, oh, and and I think lots of shows have been cancelled. It's just big business. It's a dip. Yeah, for at the sure. End of the, at the end of the day, that's this is what it is. Netflix isn't going to go anywhere. I, they just overstretch themselves because I, I of think so. um, riding the lockdown I, high. And there's... Only so many people who are going to sign up for it, and if you have very, this is the whole, this is the fear that I have for Disney Plus, is that surely there's only so many times someone's going to watch Star Wars and Pixar movies, and want to pay for the privilege every month to do so. Um, yeah, there, there, there's just not enough new content on there. To, you know the old Disney tagline, though, don't you? It's like, don't worry, we'll just buy more franchises. Yeah, and there, and there is a bit of that going on. But a lot of their franchises aren't even on Disney+. Plus. Whereas Netflix has this... I think Netflix just reached the critical mass, and then lockdown was great for them, but then there's this turn down. Um, I just want to know whose idea it was to give the Jar Jar Binks of the Star Wars universe his own TV show. Ewan McGregor's Obi-Wan Kenobi is the worst thing to happen to Star Wars. What, and now he has Jar his Jar own Binks. T- yeah, worse than Jar Jar Binks. I'm not even going to do my Jar Jar Binks impression. Being... Oh, he's a guy that ruined the <laughs> no, franchise. No, don't, don't, don't do a Jar Jar Binks impression because you'll be cancelled, mate. <laughs> what, we're going to be cancelled for replicating an alien? Um, yeah, I have no interest. I'm, I'm just not a Star Wars person. I've, I've seen all the films. But I, I don't not. need to see it because the Star Wars fans can't hold the load, so they just spoil it from every. As soon as anything happens, you know about it. But I have zero interest in the Obi Wan Kenobi TV show. The same way I wasn't interested in the Mandalorian. I'm not interested in anything else. They're spinning out. Um, but I get, I, I get that people love it. It's just not, not for me. And now Kyle Mooney's left us, and now we're never going to see Baby Yoda either. So. Isn't it? I thought they. I thought there was a Baby Yoda in the next series of The Mandalorian. No, in SNL, he did Baby Yoda. 
Okay. Ah, right. Yeah, I see what you mean. See. Yes, yes. As, as there seems to be a, no slowing down of the amount of shows that Netflix is important, which is obviously good for us. Mm. Um, and at the same time, we were also getting... Obviously, it's like uh, Shudder. Shudder picked up the sadness. They also they got Mad God as well, so that was a real one-two punch from them. Which is Phil Tippett's uh, film he's been mm. working on for the last twenty odd years. <laughs> um, so I'm looking forward to uh, having a real bad day and watching that at some point. What to cheer you up or just continue? Yes, I know it's going gonna, gonna to be a real bad day after <laughs> I watch it. It's, it reminds me of the Secret Life of Tom Thumb. What's that? Okay, well, <laughs> that was a. Uh, it was a film that they uh, filmed live actor live actors using stop motion technique, right? But it's like a it's a, like a dark version of uh, Tom Thumb. Okay, where he's like lives in this world of like grime and bugs, and he gets uh, captured by uh, this uh, company used for medical experiments and finds a uh, a tribe of tiny people who were uh, included in Jack the Giant Killer as they uh, strike back against the uh, the evil giant people. Okay, we've really gone off brand today, haven't we? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that's. Um, but yeah, that's where my viewing has been at the moment. I've got a few bits and pieces that I'm hoping to get to over the course of this uh, this coming week. So, um, it will hopefully be breaking up the studio Ghibli stuff on the next episode. But time now to fire up the projector and to move on to tonight's feature presentation, which is Karaoke Terror. <laughs> So, Karaoke Terror, released in 2003, uh, directed by Tetsuo Shinohara, and based on the novel by Ryu Murakami, um, not to be confused with the other Murakami who wrote Wind Up Bird Chronicle and Sputnik Sweetheart and Norwegian Wood and all those other delightful books. Ryu Murakami is the self-proclaimed bad boy of Japanese fiction, being responsible for such books as Audition and in the miser soup and coin locker babies and piercing um amongst his extensive bibliography is that the right word bibliography yeah it is yeah i was um <laughs> i was struggling with my mute then in a full 19 <laughs> in a full 2020 mode like, and i well, was muting and unmuting. learned a new word yeah no no <laughs> yeah no bibliography is, is absolutely the quite the right word it's more the word than filmography, which is, I'm not convinced is a word, but it should be a cinematog- 
I don't know. Anyway, yes, correct word. Yes, and yes, obviously most famous in these circles, I guess, for being the author of Audition, as you said. The film is a two-friends story in which we have a group of five young men who, for some reason or another, really enjoy doing karaoke together twice a week when they're not leching on one of the neighbours of uh, the apartment across from them. At the same time, we have a group of uh, five middle-aged women who were originally brought together because they all share the same name um, and now spend their time hanging out and also doing karaoke and having coffee and cake. Um, However, when one of them is murdered by one of the boys, uh, one of the boys, they set out to find his killer embarking in a tit-for-tat game of revenge as the two sides take revenge on each other as they whittle down each other's numbers um, in an ever-escalating and truly random plot, to say the least. Um, as I said, this one's directed by Ryu Murakami, who I'm actually a, a fan of. Um, I've enjoyed quite a few of his books, even though I've not read all of them. I think In the Miser's Soup was one of the first ones I, I uh, came across, along with Coin Locker Babies. And I know Coin Locker Babies was adapted into a very low-key film, which I've not seen. I don't know if you caught it, Stephen. I haven't seen it, no. I think Piercing was as well, wasn't it? Piercing is, and I believe that's also a Mumbai as well. Is that the one with the person with the snake tongue? I think it is. Possibly yeah. so. I probably have seen um, it. But, no, I mean, he's one of those... There was He came across really in a time when we had quite a few uh, Japanese authors getting their works tra- translated, uh, obviously, at the same time... Um, uh, I was at the same time we always had uh, Hiroki Murakami was having many of his books translated. We had books like Out, um, which is also phenomenal. A phenomenal book, terrible movie. So we had a little bit of a, a little bit of a craze for uh, Japanese authors, which suddenly never really took off in the same way that manga translations did. Well, we also had we had um, like Vertical Books put out the Ring novels. As well, like translations of them and of Dark Water. Um, we had, uh, I can't remember his name, but we had the, oh, so the, what was that film? Perfect Circle film that we looked at, the um, those novels for that Detective Galileo stories. That's what I'm trying to struggle for. Um, I think Higashimi here, all his books have been made into stuff. So, so yeah, there was, there was just like this lump. And I think it all came from ring novels. I think that is what, started it so we can draw a line almost to our old friends at tartan again putting out ring um and yeah but there's still a thing there's in the um in this sort of in that sort of detective fiction world it's still a thing there are innumerable japanese authors who put out detective fiction and they all get releases over here so there must be a a subgenre of of crime fiction that that people are just really into it, whereas it's a Ryo Murakami and, and the other Murakami are not beholden to genre. They write books about all kinds of st- stuff, as this film attests <laughs> to. <laughs> and it was, apparently it was a very controversial novel when it came out as well. I mean, I can sort of understand why, really, because we're dealing with a group of, um, as I said, these five guys who love karaoke. When we say we 
they they love karaoke. We're not talking about them going to a karaoke bar. We're talking about like full fledged little productions that they put on for their own amusements, where they dress up uh, in various costumes. At one point, they do one which uh, makes them look very similar to the Droogs from A Clockwork Orange. They do one which is in PVC bondage gear for no apparent reason. But that isn't even the weirdest thing about that scene. <laughs> and uh, in particular, they love songs from the Shower era. Uh, which is also a love shared by the the group of ladies known as the Midoris. 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 Yes. Yeah. So, so these these the, the five women, what they have in common is that they're all called Midori, but they're also all divorced, and actually they don't have much more in common. And they like and they like um, karaoke, and they sort of do point this out at the beginning that they haven't. They've been brought together because I think one of them is a is like a magazine editor and she wrote a story about these five women all called Midori and they just hang out together but they actually don't have anything to talk about or in common so I that was kind of amusing but obviously once the film goes on they have a lot to talk about and it helps them bond and the like but if that's all the film was about it would be fine but it goes other places yeah so these five guys though i mean they can best be described as basically a group of incels there's certainly one the main sort of ringleader of the group who kills one of the uh one of these midori ladies so let's do a quick pause you do know who that is don't you No, but i'm sure you're going to enlighten me now if he is um kiriyama from battle royale he is, and, and, and many, many other things. But, yes. Um, so, when was this made? This was 2003. May 2003. So, three, yeah, three years after Battle Royale. He's, it's, almost, it's almost replaying that role. But, um, yes, I didn't realise at the time. I was when I was doing a bit of looking up later. I thought, oh, I, thought okay. I recognised him. And then I realised he's in a lot of other things as well. But, yeah, these these five guys when I mean, you call them incels that's probably certainly he's the but they, I would say he's definitely he is he, he is the yeah. whole incident What's which the... sparks this is that he tries to hit on 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 one of these ladies and she turns him down and he becomes like super aggressive and ends up killing her who is the mum from visitor q by the way but just making all the links tonight yes. so he's i have it's just one of those all the ladies are very famous sort of character actors in japan and i sort of recognized them but right. didn't know who they were but and that was just one that, that picked up yeah so the lads are they are embodying this and we we see lots of japanese films around this time which there's the youth are taken over by a sense of a you know this 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 oh god life don't talk to me about life oh i'm so bored what am i gonna do and then the logical conclusion, therefore, is to just kill somebody randomly in the street after asking them for a fuck. Oh, yeah, his, his <laughs> real approach for, for hitting on women is leaves a lot to be desired. And the fact his advances are spurned, which obviously makes me draw the comparisons to the, obviously the incels, so this group of uh, mm. guys who believe that uh, women should sleep with them because they're nice guys, but, you know... What they certainly write about women. Yeah, they're are not, not quite. They're not quite. Things. No, they're not quite red pilled men's activists. They're just sort of very entitled. Um, yeah, they're entitled because they've got nothing to do. I mean, they've got jobs, but only one of them's really got a job that could potentially lead to something. But what does he want to do? He wants to. Um, 
think he wants to be like an internet author, and the other one goes, but he hasn't even got a computer. <laughs> and two of them like wash windows, and they're, they're just embodied. And it's very much like Battle Royale, this sort of sense that the youth of today just have got no drive. They've got nothing to inspire. Like I say, Inui just pours out over them. Yet, at the same time, like you pointed out, they do these incredible productions, karaoke productions of cosplay and all sorts going on. And you think, like, it's, it's kind of hard. And then you have the five women who are obviously representing that's kind of... And again, we've talked about this before, where they are, they are this kind of lost generation that j- j- Japanese women have this um i can't remember what the japanese word for it is but you know remember we talked about the office ladies before the ladies that 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 don't get married and they just work their job and then sudden and look after their elderly parents and then suddenly they're just sort of just left in the world when their elderly parents die these guys are similar but they're all divorced which again there's a big you know divorce is not as well received culturally in japan so as, as it may be in the west or these days is in the west and in my memory it was still quite frowned upon but yeah these they're kind of lost one of them can't talk to her son she has nothing in common with her son that she sees every so often um and they're 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 kind of trapped in this soulless relationship with each other just because they've got the same first name so yeah both parties are kind of boring (laughs) but this one act of violence sparks craziness because you know what happens when you when when someone tries to do revenge you might as well dig take two shovels because you're going to dig your own grave dig two graves so that's <laughs> right that's two it. Shovels. whatever you know what i mean or as wolverine you know put it I mean. myself on the path of revenge dig two graves it's, it saves time for later <laughs> um so yeah they these ladies with the police having failed and they decide to track down the the killer themselves and they find him because he apparently has his same spot that he likes to pee in every single day which makes him a very vulnerable target for one of them to essentially joust him on a is he a bicycle as a motorcycle she's on I think I think she's on either an electric bike if that's such a thing or yeah. a moped but yeah with a with a with a knife gaffer tape to the end <laughs> a of stick. a rod yeah and and she does a very good job if you ever wondered what would happen if that chucked into someone's cartoid artery we now know (laughs) uh, so yeah they they i mean this film is full of coincidences and information just being handed to people (laughs) yes they kill him and then obviously the boys aren't very happy even though he's admitted he's killed her to them and that he is this this killer yeah, that, that, that the police we, can't we find. This, but he really glosses over the facts, doesn't he? <laughs> it's like, <laughs> yeah, doesn't, he does. Um, he does. Go into like, the fact that why he killed her and the fact that he just basically dumps her on some per- person's, someone's allotment. There's a lot of allotment in this film as well. If, if you're Robinson into allotments, shrines. a lot of this film takes, a lot of this place takes place on an allotment. <laughs> um, so, so, yeah, the boys <coughs> decide that they're going to take revenge against these these women and they go out into the countryside to buy a gun from this guy who basically points out that middle-aged women are tougher than cockroaches which is an interesting comparison 
he also st- stinches them on bullets. Yeah, I mean, he's he's a wonderful character because later on, <laughs> well, we will talk about it later. But we come back to him because he's not just a man who can find a gun; he's a man who can find anything. <laughs> and this is, I mean, this itself would have been a really interesting sort of plot. This like tip for tat revenge story where you enter into this like it's kind of like in the um untouchables where sean connery sort of like you know if they they come at you with a knife you get a bat they like put one of your guys in the hospital you send one of theirs to the morgue it's this escalation of revenge and that itself would have been a really interesting story but unfortunately what we get is just a bunch of really bizarre random sort of episodes where you have one member kill another a member of the other group and then you get a lot of sort of scenes of them sitting around and they're just like either talking or conducting their bizarre music video productions or just spying on the neighbour. Well, what it does, I, I, I sense we, we, we've got slightly... I'm glad that you've you got something out of this because I was, I was very disappointed with... I had this wonderful, like, concept of what this film was going to be going off, like, the, the synopsis. And then when I saw it, it yeah. was like... That didn't quite live up to what I was expecting. Half of the film, I kind of get. So as the ladies are committing these murders, they bond much more and they're able to talk about a lot of things. So you know, they 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 talk about openly about sex and about their their lives and their jobs and things like that. And in fact, bizarrely, it turns them into nicer people. Um, a more fully rounded people as they be get, do crazier and crazier and the body count gets higher with the guys i don't really i don't see that growth as much because they they're more in it for that initial revenge and actually they get wiped out quite quickly. well yes i mean <laughs> there's not many of them left quite let's quickly not forget, i mean this is another addition for the girls with rockets list would yeah it, it escalates to the point well, I say it's going to escalate a further step, but it escalates to the point where they take the boys out with a In rocket launcher. one of launcher. the most phenomenal scenes of the film, I have to say. <laughs> um, if you were see middle-aged it, women with a rocket launcher, it's like watching Michael Douglas with the rocket launcher and falling down. Where he's like, yeah, oh, I'm going to blow up that digger and he's got the, kid, the little kid on the bicycle telling him how to do it. I, I kind of liked it. I kind of liked it. And it reminded me of, you know, the Dead or Alive movie where things, at the very end, where things were just escalating and escalating. Where I thought, it, I, did, I just didn't, maybe the novel's better, but I just felt that there was interesting stuff on the female side and a lot to say about the place of Japanese women, especially middle-aged women in Japanese society, where the... The kids, I mean, they were... Yeah, so the one of them was a dickhead, right? But he gets killed off quite quickly. The others were just... I don't know. They didn't really have any character development. The only character development they had was dying. Um, although one of them has a strange sort of in-club affair, doesn't he, with one of them before he kills her. And and then, of course, we've got the weird girl. Can you I can. Call her the I know weird what girl? you're talking about. <laughs> I was so so sure she was going to play like some key role in this, but she she doesn't other than like being the inform- handy informant really, just sort of telling people who did what and enabling them to perform their yeah. acts of revenge. Yeah, essentially. Um, but I'm sure she meant 
to be something. But yeah, it's um, it is also the first time. So some spoilers here. It's the first time I haven't been able to find a film <laughs> that you've brought up or I've brought up. I found it really hard to find. I've never heard of it before. Yet it's you know Roy Murakami, big deal. It's packed full of famous Japanese actors of the two thousands. Um, I'm like, how how is the, and and there there appears to be an American release, but I can I, and I think it was on Mubai once because they seem to have a, a, a the film's not on Mubai anymore, but they still got a, stub. a you know a, a stub for it. Um, but yeah, fast, I I kind of enjoyed it, but I enjoyed it in the same way I'd enjoy a uh, a sort of second tier. Um, Mike well, that film. was the thing, next point I was going to make. I think if Mika here had directed this, I probably would have enjoyed it a lot more. Because certainly there are those moments of just sheer randomness that he really sort of embraces and is really to sort of ex- able to expand upon and work into that weird Mike world view that we're all now so familiar with. Uh, so to, certainly, as you mentioned already, the ending is very much like Dead or Alive um, in the fact that it has an ending. I'm not sure that it, the word overkill really even covers this ending, to say the least. <laughs> so we're, I, I think it's going to be nearly impossible for anyone to watch this. So I, I feel I very happy I mean, it's, spoiling it's, it. If you're in the States, you're going to be able to find it easy because it's been put out by Synapse. True. But I don't... But it's 20 years old. I think we can, we can spoiler it, right? So it starts off with someone just randomly slashing somebody with a knife. Then it goes to the joust <laughs> that you've already described. Then it's a gunshot yep. to the head, I think. And then is no, there another they, one before they, they go go, rocket they, launcher? They go back to the same guy. Apparently there's only one arms dealer in the whole of Japan. It's this <laughs> guy right, who's yeah. sat in the countryside. <laughs> so, yeah, they go to the same guy who sells them the rocket launcher. Or he tells them how to get it, doesn't he? Because it's a guy from an airbase, isn't it, that knows... Oh, yeah, and he's got... The guy that's, that steals them the rocket launcher is married to a woman. So he used to know the victim, the original, the first lady to die, and he's married another woman who's played by the same actress, and oh, they just yes, call they it out and say... <laughs> they just, she's just a blonde version. She, looks like, she basically oh. looks like, um, and this is something only the Brits are going to understand. It's sort of like she looks like Bette Midler from Coronation Street. Bette Bette Lynch, Lynch, sorry, Bette Lynch. not Bette Midler. Yeah, 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 yeah. She's got the she's got the whole leopard skin barmaid beehive hairdo thing going on. It's very um, weird. So, so, so yeah. So you kill they kill most of the boys off with both. A rocket launcher, which is a spectacular scene. You're right. It's such an explosion. They turbo, and they <laughs> and, and the, they pick out like the boys' arms and legs and feel quite sick. But right? but they also attack the boys who go around in. A, in I think it's a, it's like an RV or a converted ice cream van or something or a transit van, whatever it is. They sort of stab one of them. And there's only like one left. So the one boy left then goes off to the arms dealer and says, "Have you got any nukes?" And he basically gives them the instructions to build a bomb. Meanwhile, the women have been completely emancipated by this, and one of them has got a promotion, the other one has left her job because she now feels free and she understands classical music now, so she masturbates to classical music. Oh, yeah, she, yes, that's she... what being free means. Um, 
I forget what some of the the girl one the one with the young son that she said she couldn't connect with. Now they're hanging out and having ice cream together, and her, her son's even talking to her about boys. Her son's eight years old and needs to go on a treadmill. Um, it's, it's, there's lots of stuff going on. Meanwhile, the boy left builds his bomb. I don't think it's actually a nuke, but he builds a bomb and hires a helicopter and bombs the whole area of Tokyo that they're in. Which, obviously, nuclear bombs are going to mean something to the Japanese audience as well. Probably a bit more than we do. And then the film... And, and then he shoots the helicopter pilot. And then Milan doesn't have enough bullets to shoot himself. But it doesn't really matter because he's going to die. Yeah, it's just good. Just, just this escalation. And in a way, I think that lets the film down. It feels that's how a sixth formal would end something. It, it, it very much reminds me of like the original <laughs> ending of Clerks, where Dante gets shot, and mm. uh, when they were showing it, it's all like you can't have this at the end just because you can't figure out how to end your movie. So that's what it felt like. Very much like watching it's all like, oh, we're just gonna have this nuclear. We're gonna drop this nuke, which again makes zero sense in this sort of tit for tat warfare. That we're suddenly just going to go thermonuclear with our response to to uh, to their actions, yeah. and it just it did feel like they were sort of like oh I can't figure out how to end this works. And I, in a way, I think if they just ended it with the girls, the ladies, all having been rejuvenated by this activity and succeeding, that would have been a nice dark ending, right? And that might have been better. I'm not convinced by the the nuke ending at the end. I have to. That's the bit that let it down for me. And there is a lot of talking. I know what you mean. There's 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 random acts of violence interspersed between a lot of people sitting around and eating. Especially on the guy side, it never really amounts to anything other than what perverts we can be. Yeah. And as I said, they they (laughs) the only thing that they put other than the karaoke that they put as much effort into, is just leching on the neighbour, who for whatever reason likes to dance in the nude. But they're not even getting a good fucking look. They're looking at her in the shower through the mottled glass. They can't really see anything. It's not... Yeah, and oh, what are they doing? There's a bit... They eat something, and he goes, oh, it looks like the first cum when you've not masturbated for a month. And it's like, what the fuck? The, the boys are really under... The only one that was interesting is killed off quite early on because at least he's got that, 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 that sense of annuity about him and you think, well, why did he do that? And I'd rather he'd hung around, to be honest with you, because he was interested. The other, the other I don't even remember their names. I couldn't even tell you what they looked like, mate. They are very <laughs> interchangeable, aren't the, they? Yeah, whereas the girls, the ladies, even though, I mean, the nice thing is they're all called Midori, so we can just talk about any single one of them. But I just I just and as characters, they grew. I mean, this. What's the other? I guess it's just full of lovely bits, like when they take the um, pedalo out. Oh yeah, <laughs> just, just I don't even know what they're doing. They just take this. I mean, I call it a pedalo. It's like a pedal-controlled boat, but in the UK, our pedalos aren't half as exciting as that. And they, we wouldn't take them out to sea, would we? No. <laughs> they take them out, they get knackered, and then they talk about the fact that they never enjoyed having sex with any of their husbands. Oh, and they also compare them, <laughs> their, their dwindling group numbers to different pop groups. So they started off in yes. like five, and it's like, we were the Rolling Stones, now, <laughs> now we're such and such a body. And it's like, well, if we lose another member, then we are uh, this other group. And If you like yeah. music of and- Sharu, I'm sure this would be like really doing something for you i think 
Yeah, so I think this is maybe a problem for you and I, that, that this actual sort of subtitle is the songbook of the Showa yeah. era or something like that, which is like from 1930 to 1980 or something like that. It's when that emperor was... That's how the Japanese era works. So there is a, there are songs that match. So each part of the film is named after one of the songs that they're singing, and I'm sure that means a lot more to Japanese people. They're, they're not sort of like worldwide classics. They are very much Japanese pop songs from this period and they're the different bits are named after or, or the songs feed into sort of actions of the characters don't they there's that one is it the ticky ticky song or something like that which they both parties reference during that bit of the film so I'm, I'm pretty certain there's a lot of this film we don't understand <laughs> and, and a bit of me thinks I might pick up the book if it's been translated into English, which I'm not sure it has, because um, it's no doubt will be a quick read, because Ryo Mirakami doesn't write long books, and um, maybe I'll be able to come back one day and say, oh, I understand the film now. But I I enjoyed it. For, for one of your choices, I think I enjoyed it more than you did, by quite some way. <laughs> yeah, it's... Um, it, is, it is always disappointing when you think you, fa- when you, think you found something like it. Uh, something rather quirky, and then it just turns out to be a mm. bit of a mis misfire. Um, that is always a little disappointing. But as so this is just um one of those discoveries that came through on the on the old film Twitter because we follow quite a few people on on the who post like reviews on Twitter, which is something I've never been able to do. But you know, all the more power to them for being able to do it. And if you as I said, if you as I said, if you write about Asian cinema or uh, you blog about Asian cinema or you podcast about it or make videos about Asian cinema please do get in touch with us let us know who you are because we'd love to build our little community because as I said it's a niche thing Asian cinema is and it's nice to help uh, help support each other and you know highlight what other people are doing to talk about Asian cinema out there so uh, this was one of those discoveries I found out as I said through film twitter um, but yeah it's it's I'm kind of glad that I saw it, but at the same time, it's not one that I feel myself sort of like rushing back to see. I don't. I don't think I would recommend it to people per se. I think there are other Japanese films which are talking about the same kind of stuff. Um, I'm thinking about Battle Royale, for example, and I'm thinking about. I think it's a film called Villain. I think it's called Villain, which is. I think it's got one of the guys from Battle Royale. I think the lead from Battle Royale is actually in Villain. But it's a very similar story, you know, this 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 lost generation. Two lost generations of Japanese society. And I think they're just done slightly slightly better. But I, I I thought it was a solid sort of seven out of ten. I don't I don't hate it. It's got some the, the moments in there I'll never forget. We'll always remember the the ladies with the rocket launcher, right? We're, that's that's going to go down in our memories for to the rest of our days, I'm sure. But um, some of the rest of it is, yeah. It's, I'd have a. I'm not. I'm not crying for Arrow to suddenly put it out on Blu-ray for us. No, um, I think I think uh, I think we're good. <laughs> but um, no, Synapse have obviously put this one out. Um, so if you're in the states, you can even watch this on Amazon Prime, I believe, as well. So um, sadly, at the moment, there is no UK release for this one. So you're going to have to import it. 
or search really yeah. hard on the internet. Um, but uh, yeah, it's an interesting curiosity. So that obviously brings us into tonight's um, episode. Uh, Stephen, it's your turn to obviously choose next. What are you going to go with? Okay, right. So I have talked over and over and over and over about my favourite Hong Kong director being Edmund Po Hung. Ho- Let me try that again. Teeth in. Edmund Pang Ho Chung. Um, who, yeah, is is probably one of the few Hong Kong directors who's still making proper Hong Kong movies. I mean, he has taken the Chinese uh, um, dollar. I know that's not what the Chinese yuan, isn't it? For for some of his more recent films, but I want to go back to 2010 and his um, first in a trilogy of films. Um, the, the sort of the love in films. This is called Love in a Puff, um, starring um, Sean Yu and um, Miriam Young uh, as a sort of uh, yes, yeah, it's, it's it's a kind of love story, a Hong Kong love story, but it's set in the world where Hong Kong bans smoking, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so people sort of had to gather outside in whatever the weather, to grab their um, hourly puff. Um, but it's a, it's a nice little love story. Um, there's a sort of age difference between the pair of them. Um, like I say, it spawned another couple of sequels, and I've no doubt there's a fourth film on the way. Um, the downside for you and I, mate, is that we don't speak Cantonese, and the film is actually a Cat 3 because of its language. So I'll be interested. I think you said it's on Mumbai at the moment. Uh, it's on, it's on Netflix. Fasc- Netflix, that's right. I'll be fascinated. I'm going to, even though I have it on numerous me- medias, I'm going to definitely watch it on Netflix to see what they do with the subtitles. Um, so anyone who's been to Hong Kong knows that the Canton, they love messing around with homophones and synonyms and stuff like that. Um, I, I believe this film has filthy language. And uh, that's... Yeah, it's it's not Cat 3 because they make pork buns out of each other. It's Cat 3 because they say filthy words. It's actually Cat 3 because it has smoking. <laughs> oh, yes, that's <laughs> Smoking's true. a big no. Which is... No, in, uh... <laughs> well, it, well, it was... In, yeah, in that, in that smoking ban was a huge thing. I mean, Chinese people love to smoke. They love to smoke and they love to spit on the ground. And... A bit like the French, not the French about the spitting, but I, I never thought the smoking ban would ever happen in France because I couldn't imagine French people not smoking inside, but apparently they did, so it happened. Anyway, yes, Love and a Puff. So, I really, you know, I, spoilers, I love this movie. So, it's going to be one of those, I'm very nervous you're going to like it at all, mate. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, so that's obviously coming up on our next episode uh, if you haven't done already please do hit the like and subscribe button wherever you happen to be listening to us uh, please uh, you know, leave us a review let us know what you think of the show and you can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram come say hi to us there and you can also check out full archive episodes at movies uh, you can check out full archive episodes at asiancinemafilmclub.wordpress.com uh, which has got not only our archive there, but it's also got other fun bits of writing, like the anime vault, we've got the Dark Side of Cinema, and we've got the movie vault reviews and David Brook as well. Um, there's a host of good stuff for you to check out there as well. But um, until next time, thank you, of course, to my co-host, Ian. Thank you very much. Have and uh, we'll be back next time to talk about love in a puff. Until then, good night. Good night.
This podcast is a proud member of the Lamb Podcasting Network. Find the network at largeassmovieblogs.com.